Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare, and today's program is a continuation of the previous one. At the end of the previous program, I was explaining that the devil has this belief that he can be like God, or at least that was his position, that he would be like God, and that defined his rebellion. But to me, the way that he described being like the Most High, to me, his description does not indicate it does not indicate to me that he's very smart. I know a lot of people speak about the devil as if he's some kind of super genius or something, but when he says things like, I'm going to ascend into heaven and I will exalt my thrones above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. When he says things like this, that he will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. If this really is his description of what it means to be like the Most High, I don't see it. I I really don't. I don't see that the devil has got a lot of intelligence here. Because all of these things that he described are nothing more than appearances. They have no basis in reality. They have to do with the way things may appear to be or the way that things may look. But this has nothing to do with the reality of who our God really is that makes him the Most High. These things don't make him the Most High. So if the devil really believes that these are the things that make him the Most High, I just don't think that he is as intelligent as a lot of people try to suggest that he is. To me, this just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think that appearances can be a reasonable substitute for the real substance of who our God truly is. Now, one of the things that I was explaining in the previous program, in addition to this, is that the living God wants to have a personal, interactive relationship with us to the extent where we may grow to know who he is personally. And I was explaining in previous programs that Satan was, in a way, provoking God. And I gave the example with Job, where Satan provoked God by saying, listen, the only reason why Job is worshiping you or believing in you or being a righteous man is because you provide him with stuff and protection, provision and protection. If you withdraw that, then he will curse you. It's a way of saying, I don't believe that there's more to being like God than what the devil was doing at that time. I really believe that the devil was challenging God in the deepest part of who he is by saying, why don't you show me Show me what you mean when you say that you want to be God in this way of having a personal relationship with these people whom you have created. Show me what that is. Show me what that looks like. I explained that I don't think that he could do that successfully with Job quite yet because of the resurrection. He needs the resurrection of the Lord Jesus to restore the Holy Spirit 
to us, to dwell within us, to raise us from the dead spiritually, so that he can have a unique interactive relationship with us, and this did not occur until after the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. The living God could not have such a profound relationship with his creation until after the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. That is when things changed in such a way that he could be God to us in the unique way that we can experience him right now. He had to wait 4,000 years before he could have some evidence that he could present that would either defend himself or that he could use in a discussion with the devil to say, you see, there are people who do look to me in a different way, in a way that you will never be able to experience because you are not the Most High like I am. When God created Adam and Eve, he certainly could enjoy a relationship with them to an extent. But they could not really embrace what it meant to be loved by him, not in the same way that we can. They did not have the definition that we have of love in 1 Corinthians, for example, where love is kind, love is patient, love never keeps any records of wrongs. I don't think that they could truly embrace the meaning of love in that way, not in the way that we can because they had not struggled with the issues related to sin, with the issues related to being separated from God. They didn't have a time of suffering like we normally have before we come to Christ Jesus. So there certainly were some limitations with regards to how the Most High could truly be the Most High to Adam and Eve. And then after the fall, of course, then there would be some greater limitations because of the absence of the Holy Spirit. So if you look at the creation of Adam and Eve and see that things were okay, and then you look at the fall of humanity and see that things certainly are not any better than they were with Adam and Eve, then it could look like God isn't doing so well. But 4,000 years after creation, when Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, well, then he was able to make a new creation. And this new creation is not limited like Adam and Eve were. We don't have the same limitations. We don't have the limitations of a spiritually dead person either. Instead, what we have is an unlimited opportunity to grow to know our God because of the resurrected experience that we have had and because of our knowledge and understanding of the depravity of the flesh, the depravity of the sinful nature, because we understand what it means to be without him. And we can use that in order to make a comparison to what it's like to be with him. Through all of this, we can have a unique testimony. And I explained this in a previous program where I explained that the new believer, the new creation in Christ Jesus, has an opportunity to grow to know their God to the extent where we can freely testify, boldly, and with great conviction, that the provision and protection that Job had experienced would certainly not result in our confusion in the event that we lost it. In other words, if we had what Job had with regards to provision and protection, and then we lost it for whatever reason, divine or otherwise, we would not curse God. Not those of us who are mature in Christ Jesus, who have matured to the extent where we can testify in that way, 
And as I mentioned previously, if you're not quite there yet, don't feel guilty. Give it some more time. The Lord will complete the work that He began in you. I know this. There was a time when I had great concern over the fact that I really didn't have the conviction to stand in my faith as I do now. So if you don't have that kind of conviction right now, don't feel bad about it. Just give the Lord some time to do a work in your heart. I do believe that He will. But for those of us who are mature to that extent, where we would not curse God if we just lost it all, especially if we found out that he decided to participate in this loss, we wouldn't curse God over that because we understand who he is. We can testify of our God in a unique way now, that we know him in a way that no one else can, not even the devil himself can know his God like we know our God. There's no way that he's going to be able to comprehend the Most High in the way that we can comprehend the Most High, in the way that we can testify of the Most High. We are a living testimony, those of us who are born-again believers, we are a living testimony that God was right, that the devil cannot be like the Most High because he just simply doesn't have it within him. He wasn't created that way. He wasn't created in a way that he could be a substitute for the living God, for the Most High. It isn't going to happen. He cannot be like the Most High no matter how hard he tries. And we are living testimonies to that effect. That we have rejected him. We have rejected the devil. We have rejected his way of life, his way of thinking, his everything in favor of a living God in the midst of all of these obstacles that we deal with in the world, in the midst of all of the resistance that we deal with in the world to keep us from growing to know who our God is, we still manage to do it. And we testify that the devil can never be like the Most High. It's not going to happen. So he certainly didn't believe the testimony of the living God himself, the Most High, when he said, you know, you're not going to be able to succeed with this. But now he has our testimony that we can testify on behalf of the Most High to tell the devil, you're never going to be able to do it, that there is a difference. And we are here as living testimonies to say that you are a failure. You are a failure. You keep fighting, you keep interfering, you keep invading, you keep trying to participate in ways that are inappropriate, and you're a failure. That is a reasonable description of the warfare that we are engaged in. We are doing battle with a being who is a complete failure and who does not live in reality but lives in these fantasies based on appearances that he has seen, this does not sound like a smart person to me. It doesn't. I don't know how you would measure his IQ. You know, people talk about his intelligence quotient being extraordinarily high, but I just don't see it. I really don't. So we as believers are the evidence. We are the testimony. And the Lord our God knew that it would take a long time before he would be able to provide this. And as I mentioned earlier, it's about 4,000 years that it took in order to provide the evidence to the devil. You really have to have a sense of vision in order to pursue a project of that magnitude. To pursue something, to do something that would take thousands of years to finally accomplish what it is that you want to see accomplished. For the Lord to go through all of these years being faced with all of this ridicule, 
that I believe was described in Job chapter 1, to me that's a form of ridicule, the idea of provoking God into a conflict. He went through all of that for so long, knowing, having the understanding, having the vision, having the foresight to see ahead, to look ahead and know that the day would come when he would have a people who would testify on his behalf that the devil was wrong. That, to me, describes a tremendous sense of vision and foresight that I don't think the devil could ever comprehend. If I had to give a description on the foresight or the vision that the devil might have, to me it would be very short. I don't think that he has the capacity to look that far ahead. I I really don't. You know, sometimes you may wonder, well, what does he really think he's doing? I mean, does he think that he's really going to win in the end? Well, maybe he doesn't even think about it. Maybe he doesn't think that far ahead. Maybe he doesn't really care that much. He certainly doesn't care about us. I mean, look what he does to us, right? I mean, he uses us in a way that we were not created for. He destroys us. He creates all of this suffering and pain. Don't you realize that he just doesn't care about you? He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care if you suffer. He doesn't care if you experience pain. He doesn't care if you live your whole life and never grow to know your God. In fact, he would prefer that you don't because he doesn't need the additional testimony that says that he's wrong. What does he need that for? It's in his interest to keep us from a knowledge of the truth in order to avoid the magnitude that he would be faced with, the magnitude of testimony that would verify, that would show that he's wrong. Do you really think that he wants that for himself and for the demons who have followed him, who have believed him, who have trusted in his vision? What kind of a vision was that? It was a complete fantasy is what it was. And his idea of vision in terms of long-term success, I just, I don't think that it exists at all. I really don't. In fact, I feel that I'm being very generous to suggest that his vision might extend to the lifespan that we have here on earth, maybe a hundred years. Maybe that's as far as he looks ahead or that he considers. Why would he have to look any further if we don't live that long? If we don't live that long... All he has to do is keep us occupied for our lifetime. And then we're dead, and then it's over, right? It's over for him. We're gone. We're out of the picture. By then, he's got a bunch of new people who were born into this world that he can work with instead of us. That is how he perpetuates his existence and his deception, by getting a new group of people. You know, sometimes churches are able to survive that way, where they get a whole new group of people about every two years. You know, go visit a church and then stop by two or three years later and you'll find that there will be a huge percentage of people who were not there, who were not a part of the church when you were there two or three years prior. I'm not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with this. I'm not saying that at all, that you should expect to see them stay. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that there are many churches who survive not by trying to keep people from leaving out the back door, but they survive by knowing that everybody's going to eventually leave because they're going to become disillusioned or they're going to become disgusted with what's going on there. They know that. So their objective instead is to just try to keep people coming in the front door. As long as you have people coming in the front door, then it doesn't matter How many people are going out the back door? As long as they're relatively equal, then you'll be able to sustain your operation. 
A lot of churches operate that way. Not all, and so don't make assumptions about what I'm saying or what's going on if you see a congregation that sees a replacement of their people every two years, because that's not necessarily what's happening. But it happens often enough that I believe it's acceptable to mention it. The same thing with the devil. He sees a rotation. He sees a rotation from people being born and people dying. And so what's the point of looking ahead any further than one lifespan? He doesn't have a need to have that kind of a vision. But for God to accomplish what he was able to accomplish, the living God was able to accomplish something so extraordinary as to be able to create a person, you, to create you, so that you would testify to the devil that he was wrong, It took him thousands of years to accomplish that. Right now, at the time of this recording, it has been 6,000 years, over 6,000 years since he started this project. And here we are right now with a lot of people who are continually testifying that the devil was wrong. So in order to try to reduce this aggravation that the devil is going to be faced with, which is a reasonable way to describe this, aggravation. We're aggravating to him. Isn't that exciting to know that you aggravate the devil? In order to reduce this a little bit, it is in his interest, and it is in the interest of the other demons, of course, to try and keep people from discovering the living God for who he is. There are a number of ways that he does this. I explained in previous programs and the earlier programs in this series that when it came to the law, they were promoting the idea that if you only know the law, and you live by the law, then you can be who God created you to be, and that they would do things in order to give credibility to the Pharisees, for example. I spoke about the Pharisees who were casting out demons, the Kabbalists who were casting out demons, and that the demons might very well voluntarily depart in order to give credibility to the Kabbalist, to the Pharisee, who would then teach the people to live according to the knowledge of good and evil, and so that they would be more available to the devil because of the ways that he would be able to condemn people and because of the ways that they would be taken away from the living God, the devil can use the law as a weapon in a way that's more effective than if a person has no interest in religious things at all. It can be more effective. The sin can be more pronounced because of the religious pride that gets manifested. A lot more can actually be accomplished when he gets a person to try to live according to the law than with the people who do not even bother with that, who I believe he is involved with. I do believe that he is a universal God, and he'll take those who want to live according to the indulgence of their flesh as he will live with people who want to live according to the life of restraining the flesh. Either way, if you want to live according to the indulgence of the flesh, he's there for you. If you want to live according to the restraint of the flesh, he's there for you too. But let's take this issue a little further and present it in the context of what we see in some congregations, in some churches today. We have a number of churches who teach people that to be a Christian means that you live according to the knowledge of good and evil that instead of trying to live a life to indulge your flesh, to be a Christian means that you live a life trying to restrain your flesh. That's what it means for many people. And this is no different than what the Pharisees were doing. It, It just isn't. It's no different 
live a life of restraining the flesh, you will fail, so you will be condemned, so God does not accept you, God does not like you, God is disgusted with you, so you don't have anywhere else to go, you don't have anything else to do, you are now available for the devil. You are available for him because you will not be able to rest in the love of God, and so you will not be able to grow in Christ Jesus. You're not going to be able to live according to the inheritance that you have in Christ. You're not going to be able to grow and mature in the faith. You could very well be saved, but you effectively become paralyzed because you have been directed to live a life of repentance and obedience, a life that you will never be able to live, and so you are paralyzed. Do you understand that if you try to do something you cannot, you are paralyzed. You may keep trying and trying and trying and trying, but you will never succeed. And so what is that? It's being paralyzed. It's being trapped. It's being stuck. And why would the devil want to do that to you? So he doesn't have to listen to your testimony. He doesn't have to deal with the aggravation from you. He doesn't have to give up you as his plunder. You are the plunder. You are the prize in this war. Don't let him keep you. Allow the Lord Jesus to take you for himself. Live according to the new covenant. The devil uses the law to condemn you in such a way that you get taken away from the living God. But the Most High, the living God, he uses the law in order to condemn us in order to show us that we have a need for His grace and mercy so that we will turn to Him and receive His grace and mercy. They both use the law. There's nothing wrong with the law itself. They both use the law. What's wrong is that the devil is using the law in a way that it should not be used, in a way that God never intended. So don't do that yourself, and don't let somebody else do that to you. Do not use the law in a way that is contrary to how God established the law, to why he established the law. Don't be contrary to that. Use it for the purpose that it was given for, to lead a person to Christ. It is the tutor, it is the schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. But once that has been accomplished, let it go. Be in Christ. Live in him. But for the devil, he needs it. He needs to be able to use it inappropriately. So this is what he does. He does a lot of things in order to give these Christian leaders credibility, authority. He might even set something up to give them the appearance that they are successfully casting out demons in order to give them credentials, in order to give them some sense of credibility so that people will look to them and say that they are the authentic Christian leaders. They are teaching the authentic Christian doctrines, but they're not, and the devil knows they're not. He knows that when people live according to these things, to these beliefs that are not real, that are not true, they will eventually become disillusioned. And then what happens? There's no alternative. The devil will take away alternatives because of the belief that these people are the authorities. And so if it turns out that they're frauds, if it turns out that they're liars, if it turns out that they are not helping people grow in their relationship with God... Well, then the people will become disillusioned. They will reject anything that has to do with Christianity, not realizing that they should have rejected what they were a part of. 
so that they could perhaps discover that which is real, that which is real in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of war that we are engaged in, and you need to get in touch with this in order to understand what is going on around you, and also in order to help prevent you yourself from being paralyzed, paralyzed because of the errors that the devil propagates in order to maintain his kingdom. The devil will never know your God as you do. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into, that they never will. But you can, so do it. Consider the time in history that you are in. Consider what Jesus has done for you. Consider the opportunity that you have that no other being has ever been able to even come close to. And you, if you have been resurrected, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you according to the gospel, you have been forgiven of all of your sins. You have received the Holy Spirit. You have experienced the restoration of the life of God that had been lost in Adam. And you now have the living God dwelling within you to guide you, to teach you, to lead you, to illuminate those things which no one else could have ever encountered. The angels could have never understood what you have the privilege and the opportunity to understand right now. And they will never understand what you understand right now. They do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and He will never dwell within them. But through His indwelling presence, He can relate to you in a way that He can open Himself up and reveal the very nature and character that He has in a way that you may know Him. Do not waste this opportunity. Do not waste this time that you have. Do you have any understanding? Do you understand what your God has gone through in order to get this far? to do as much as he has done for this time, for you to be with you. Will you at least acknowledge that he is there with you? Will you at least listen to what he has to say? Will you live with him as he lives with you? Will you not pursue a knowledge of who he is? Will you not let him reveal who he is to you? After all he has accomplished, do not despise what he has done. And I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.